The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. And that would be me. Welcome back to the monthly airing of the award-winning Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Tonight, my guest is my old friend, Charlie Dent, who served in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and the Pennsylvania Senate, then four terms in Congress. He left, frustrated, and to his credit, has not been unwilling to challenge his own parties wandering through the political desert. And he left to become a commentator on CNN. So, uh, Charlie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Yeah, well, thanks, Alan. I should also note that in addition to the CNN uh, commentating, I also do, uh, I run the Aspen Institute Congressional Program. I'm also affiliated uh, with uh, the law firm of DLA Piper. Well, and hopefully we can talk a little bit about that before we run out of time. So let's get going here. Let's start with, um, how's that gig on CNN going? Every time I, I got to tell you, Charlie, every time I see you on CNN, you make me proud to be from Allentown. Well, good. Well, thanks. I've been with them for about four and a half years right now, and they call on me to comment. I really enjoyed the opportunity, and obviously things are changing at CNN too, but it's been fun. Uh, yeah, I usually end up commenting on news of the day whatever that is, generally as it relates to Congress, but it could be other things. So I, I talk about the, the news of the day and it often, <laughs> and that often, Congress is often part of that, that daily news cycle. So, so that's what I usually get called on. And I, I would typically go on anywhere from three to five times a week. So is there a contracted number or is that just no, at no, their whim? No, no, it's, they, they basically call when they need me. And sometimes you set the stuff up. Sometimes we set, we set it up, you know, um, a week in advance, just without knowing what we're going to talk about, just knowing that they're probably going to need me. And, and, and this is the news business. You know, you get sometimes they say, OK, we, hey, we had you scheduled, but we got to cancel as it ends up. You know, there's a maybe there's a shooting or there's a tragically there could be a shooting or there could be uh, some other issue that comes up where they wouldn't need me. Like, you know, the Chinese balloon that's flying. You know, they I, might not want me for that kind of commentary or some right. other major criminal um, scene that just just occurred or a natural disaster comes up and the weather becomes a big issue. And then all of a sudden, you know, you really don't need me for that. As an interviewer myself, I, I've, I'm fascinated by how tightly the CNN type of uh, interviews go. It almost appears like the like the interview, the person being interviewed has this questions ahead of time because you can't steer a a conversation that effectively without having some sense of where the, where it's going. No. Oh, they're prof- Look, those, those hosts on the shows are very professional. The only thing I can say when I go on, I mean, I, I generally know the topic in advance. You know, we you know, we're going to talk about uh, George Santos, 
for example. Yeah. And so, okay. And, you know, so, you know, what's been going on. So I'll, I'll make sure I'm fresh on the news with him, the latest news to make sure that, cause they'll, they'll probably show some clip of something that maybe Santo said or did. And uh, then we'll, you know, talk about that or they'll, you know, it could be any number of topics. It could be, you know, the speaker election and, you know, what's the latest or you, you, but then again, I did special coverage on the speaker election with my bad back <laughs> up yeah. in New York where we just kind of sat there on a panel and, went back and forth but nevertheless uh so bottom line is whatever the topic is of the day you know we'll we'll talk about it you know the debt ceiling is one right now that's hot right, you know, yep. like, but we'll talk about that ceiling. and so that's kind of kind of what we do it's kind of it's free flowing and, and, and look it's the news business and something else comes up hey what do you think of this you know, something else so yeah. you just have to be ready for anything but typically i i kind of know what the topic is and i don't you know i don't know what the specific questions are that they're going to ask me ever uh, but, you know, I can kind of figure out we're talking about a subject. I can usually kind of figure out what they're going right, to talk right. about. So. Well, now you're you're out to I mean, I, I know that when you were serving, you were very frustrated with the inability to get anything accomplished. And I'm uh, you know, I'm just wondering, you've been out now for two terms, a little bit more than two terms. Has it yeah. gotten I, I think I know the answer to this question, but has it gotten better or worse? Oh, I think it's well, OK, well, the Democrats had the majority. You know, the last two years, you know, whether you like their agenda or not, you know, they were able to get a fair amount of stuff through with a very small majority, yeah. a very narrow majority. You know, they got the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. It really had nothing to do with inflation. It had more to do with climate change right. some, and some price controls and some pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, that was mostly what they did, mostly a climate change bill. Uh, and they also uh, passed their, their first uh, COVID relief plan shortly after Biden was elected. And again, they did that one on a partisan basis, but they also on a bipartisan basis did the uh, did the infrastructure bill, uh, which was a big deal. Um, that was a big accomplishment. Uh, the also, the other thing that was accomplished in that last Congress was the uh, CHIPS Act. So, you, so you're saying you think it's gotten a little bit better because there were well, I thought, some actual well, I thought accomplishments. The were, I, I, have, I have to give them credit for getting some things done. Whether yeah. or not you like their agenda or not is another matter. But two of those four th- items I mentioned were done on a bipartisan basis. The right. infrastructure bill, the CHIPS Act, that was to try to you know, encourage more uh, support, more uh, manufacturing of uh, chips and semiconductors here in the U.S. Those right. are the bipartisan yeah. bills. Everybody needs the other, that thick fixed. Yeah. So, so they got some stuff done now. You know, again, it's difficult now. It's, you know, and again, I think with the Democrats, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of, they want to see a more active federal government as a general rule. Right, yep. Republicans uh, typically don't uh, want to see a more interventionist federal government. And I think also, but it's also for the challenge for Republicans back when I served and now, now that they have the majority again, is that the, you know, one, they have a very small majority today. And two, I would say there are more of these uh, more hardline members. You know, we can yeah, appoint it to key committees, the hardline members. There are more of them. Yeah. And and so I think that'll make the governance aspect much harder for, you know, Speaker McCarthy. Um, you know, he's going to have to pass bills like the debt ceiling uh, on a bipartisan basis. He's going to have to pass spending bills like uh, the appropriations bills, which will probably end up as an omnibus, which will really infuriate some of his members. Yeah. You know, and they're going to do that on a bipartisan basis. So he's going to have to do some of these things on a bipartisan basis. With a small majority and a group that, of hardliners, which is larger than it's been at any time, you know, since I can recall, and um, and again with a smaller majority, it's it's even more daunting of a challenge. You know, he's dealing I, with the Democratic Senate and the, of course, the Democratic President. When I watch the Congress these days, it's almost, 
I try not to laugh for, for crying. I mean, it, it's such a, a rogues gallery of, you know, almost like a circus uh, type of situation. Are, are you still a Republican? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a Republican. I'm a Republican. You know, like I'm, I'm obviously not happy with the direction of the party. Right. But, you know, yeah, I'm a registered Republican. Yeah. And uh, but I want I want to see if this, you know, you, you can't it's hard to reform it from the outside. You still have to be sort of on the inside, even though yeah. I'm not in government. Uh, but but I'm not happy with where the direction is right now. But, you know, I'm hoping it can change. Look, I think we're moving. I think the party is is starting ever so slowly and belatedly beyond Trump, even though Trump is going to be a presidential candidate again. Do you yeah, think he stays in the race? What's that? Do you think he stays in the race? Yeah, I think, look, I think he's a, I think he is a diminished figure. He's still a dangerous one, but he's a diminished figure. Uh, his support seems to be uh, more limited. Others, you know, uh, many Republicans are looking for an alternative. They're looking toward the future, not the past. And now, but, but Trump seems to enjoy about, of the Republican electorate, about 28 to 30% seem to be solidly with him no matter what. Uh, so that's really the challenge right now for the party. You know, it's the other... You know, it's the other 70 percent that seems to want something different. Uh, but the way we nominate candidates, you know, it's a kind of a winner take all on a plurality based system. You know, you know, uh, if you got if you have 30 percent of the vote, you're this in a guy, pretty strong position if there if there are five or six candidates running against him. Yeah. Trump yeah. was clearly the orchestrator of the January 6th uprising. And I don't understand why the Republican Party still is so if he has 30 percent, is that enough to get? I mean, I just I, I don't understand well, it, why there that, isn't more that, resistance to his agenda and to him personally. Well, that may 30 percent, 28 percent, 30 percent might be enough to win a nomination. Might wow. be. And again, you better in a hope crowded multi candidate field. Uh, you know, again, the, the key for Republicans and this right now, there are a lot of these Republican candidates are kind of slow to jump in. I mean, who wants to be the first in that pool with Donald Trump? Yeah. You know, when you think about it, you jump in there. You know, he's going to try to savage you and uh, he'll try to savage you as a candidate. But uh, but at the end of the day, you know, let's I think it'll be a smaller field than people think. And maybe you see uh, Pence, Pompeo, Haley, Christie, uh, maybe the governor of Virginia, maybe Larry Hogan of Maryland. I think all these folks, you know, could potentially jump in. I probably neglected somebody uh, in, in addition to Trump. But these are so maybe I, I, I just rattled off, I think, five or six people who. I think are likely to jump in. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, but at some point that field has to winnow out just right. to one or two other alternatives to Trump. Again, he's got that solid 28 to 30% locked. And so somebody's going to have to do better than that. Uh, and, you know, if there are more than three candidates, I'm not so sure. If there are more than three candidates, I think that accrues to the benefit of, of Trump. And so, and the other challenge for these candidates or likely candidates. Is that, you know, how do you if you're going to run against Donald Trump in a primary, you're going to have to explain why he should not be the nominee. The, the coup d'etat attempt by itself should be enough of a reason. Well, oh, you mean the, the January 6th? January 6th. Yeah, well, I mean, well, but you would. But but I think these candidates are going to have to say, you know, take up a guy like Mike Pence, you know, who had been you know, so devoted, almost sycophantic, you know, yeah. in his loyalty to Trump. Until January 6th, when he, you know, he did the right thing. He basically said, no, I'm not, this is one bridge I'm not going to cross yeah. under any circumstances. And, you know, he did the right thing and good for him. You know, he good for him. Yeah. But if that's the only point of, you know, in other words, it's hard to then run against him and say, you know, I think Donald Trump was a terrific president, except for this little thing that happened on January 6th and all the things that led up to it. That's where we part company. I don't think that's a particularly great argument. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's great you're against him on January 6th, but if you're trying to diff- distinguish yourself from Trump, you're basically saying you're just like Trump, except for that one little incident. Yeah, yeah. Not such, which was not such not a little, little. It was a big deal. Right. It was a big deal. So that's not a great. I think you have to not just fight Trump, but you have to also fight. I hate to say use the term Trumpism, but I think that you do. Mindset. I think you have to explain why his policies aren't the direction that, that the country should be going in the next few years. Are you just well, going to say, you know, Trump's policies are great? Well, then then uh, some the voter might say, well, why not just vote for Trump? And he, you know, he does all these crazy things, and he tried to overthrow the government. I mean, that's I mean, maybe that'll help you. But I think it's hard to be Trump light, I guess is what I'm suggesting. You know, the guy is such a prolific liar. I wonder if he's legitimized liar and that I wonder if George Santos could have happened without Donald Trump. Yeah, I don't know that uh, George Santos could have happened. I don't know that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene could have happened, Uh, you know, because I just uh, yeah, I think it's I think the worst, the most pernicious part of the Trump experience was that he. He somehow enabled fringe elements to get onto the stage. He enabled them and and to win. I mean, because can you I mean, think about like a Marjorie Taylor Greene? Here's a woman who questioned whether or not a plane hit the Pentagon. Now, yeah. uh, you know, my, my cousin was on the 90, uh, 91st floor of the North Tower. You know, and wow. I can assure you, the plane hit the building. He yeah. got out by the skin of his teeth. You know, he everybody above him was killed. Uh, and, you know, I mean, but for somebody, you know, as a Republican candidate, especially I start, I was one of the first members on the Homeland Security Committee. We set it up as a standing committee in 2005. It was an honor to be on that committee, you know, not that long after 9-11. And to be on that committee was an honor. I mean, I just couldn't have fathomed that somebody, a Republican especially, could have been on that committee who questioned a plane hitting the building. Yeah, you know, I mean, just, I mean, it's just almost incomprehensible to me. Yeah. And and so then she's out there and, you know, and saying crazy things and the Jewish space lasers and and all sorts of wild stuff. But again, I think Trump helped enable that because he said a lot of wild and crazy things uh, that were not true, that were false. They were lies. And, you know, a lot of people just kind of dismissed it and say, well, that's just Trump being Trump. And they just kind of ignored it. And well, now other people have tried to become mini Trumps, if you will. And and Trump, you know, in many ways, he embraces those folks, you know, who used to be called on the on the political fringe. We've always had that fringe element out there, right? But we've been able to keep them marginalized. Well, he just likes to be idolized. If they treat him that right way, he'll do whatever he needs, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, he loves that. He loves the flattery. I mean, literally, flattery yeah. will get you everywhere with him, you know. Yeah, the ego, there's there he had that, 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 that breakfast close. with that the Fuentes guy, with breakfast or lunch with the guy who's the white nationalist, and that guy apparently at the when they were having this conversation was just buttering him up the whole yeah, time. And yeah. you know, Trump liked that, even yeah. though this guy was an avowed white supremacist and uh, an anti-Semite and all that. And he, uh, but, you know, but he said nice things about Trump. So Trump was kind of um, taken by him. You know, how the guy ever got to sit down with him for a meal is another, uh, you know, a great mystery. You know, you think a former president of the United States would actually have a gatekeeper. Yeah. You know, yeah. to keep people away from That's him. That's amazing, you know, isn't it? The, yeah, the yeah. Fuentes uh, dinner. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, just shows up. Hey, I'll have dinner with this guy. You know, who, yeah. who knows? It's just <laughs> it's amazing. Boy, oh boy. You're listening yeah. to uh, the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. The familiar voice on the line to all of us is Charlie Dent, my friend. Uh, you're a former congressman. Charlie is a is with the Aspen Institute, which is uh, extraordinarily prestigious. He's also a commentator on CNN, and he works for the uh, law firm in Philadelphia. What, what's it called again, Charlie? Well, it's a, we're we're an international law firm. International, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm there uh, part time. It's a, a great law firm that you know is a, right. a big global presence. 
So what do you think happens with Santos? I don't understand. It blows me away that he's still run, walking the halls of Congress. Yeah. What happens yeah. now? Well, you know, I, I think what happens is, you know, uh, well, my, my immediate reaction was is that they should have, uh, you know, not seated him on any committees yes, and not welcome, in, not welcome him into the Republican conference. That's the same thing I said at the time that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was nominated for her seat originally in August of 2020 in Georgia. Um, and I, my, my view was uh, the same for her as it is for Santos for different reasons. You know, they have different problems. But, the, but my advice was, you know, basically you tell them, you know, here, we're not going to put you on committees. We're not going to welcome you in, into the House Republican Conference. Uh, we will work with the Georgia and the New York uh, GOPs to defeat you in your upcoming primaries and, uh, you know, enjoy your time in Congress. I mean, that's how they should deal with people like this. Now, in the case of Santos, I, I think his situation in many ways is much more serious than Taylor Greene's yeah. uh, in that, you know, he has, by my count, at least five investigations pending. Uh, you know, he's got federal investigations from the Department of Justice. He probably has a state investigation from the Attorney General for this supposed charity for animals that, you know, I don't know if it ever existed, but that's a, a big no-no. Um, uh, it's a state issue. I, I keep reading that the district attorneys up there, and I think in Nassau County, is also investigating. You got a House Ethics Committee investigation uh, that no doubt will occur. Uh, the Federal Election Commission, I'm sure, is looking at this. And there may be others. So those are five issues he has to deal with, all of which are serious. Now, there was a time, once upon a time and not so long ago, when members became a distraction or an embarrassment, uh, they would feel shame because they knew they were bringing discredit upon right. themselves, yep. their families and their communities. And they would resign for the good of the institution. That's it's, the honorable thing to do. And, and believe me, I saw many resignations over the years for something other than criminal conduct. You know, I can talk about there was the kissing congressman who got caught on video making out with a district staffer. Well, you know, he, he resigned. I met him. He wasn't a bad guy, but, you know, he got yeah. caught and it was a big yeah. issue. And he did uh, the another right one thing. who had, had done cocaine. You know, he, it was a minor offense and he pled guilty. It was a $250 fine and summary offense. You know, he, he didn't get special treatment, but, you know, he resigned rather than have to deal with the you know, the ethics investigation. And, and subject uh, the party to it. Anthony Weiner, and there are others who became embarrassments or distractions who resigned. Eric Massa, Democrat. I mean, I can go down a long list. One who just resigned because he was unfaithful to his wife and it was revealed publicly and he resigned. You know, so we had people who felt shame who are ordinarily, at least in my view, most of them were, you know, basically, uh, I thought, good people, but made some errors in judgment um, I'm not saying about Anthony Weiner. He made a lot of errors in judgment, but, yeah. but they, basically they felt enough shame that they knew they had to walk away. I'm fearful that a guy like Santos might not be able to feel the shame. Is there any mechanism to remove him? Yeah, well, it's interesting. And I, I, I kind of called this one on CNN last week. They said, well, why is he why is Santos resigning his uh, res leaving his committee positions? I said, well, they put him on the committees, uh, probably to guarantee his speaker vote for McCarthy. But then. Uh, as the Republicans are moving to remove Ilhan Omar from her committee spot, yeah. it would not have been a very good look to say, hey, we're going to throw you, Omar, um, off of the Foreign Affairs Committee while George Santos is sitting on two committees. So Santos you know, said he pulled himself off oh, those committees. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that was uh, a case where McCarthy forced him off the committees huh. after they had just put him on. So he he got off those committees. Um, but you know, if you're a congressman and you're taking your uh, – supposedly, as he said, took himself off these committees – you know, what what are you doing in Congress and other than voting? I mean, that's uh, you have to wonder. Yeah. But he needs the paycheck. 
but he's probably lied about his income. I said, you know, he said he's worth millions of dollars. Why does he need a congressional paycheck? Well, it's probably because he's not telling the truth about his other sources of income, where he went from a very wealthy, from a guy who had almost no money in, in 2020 to a guy who has several million dollars, you know, <laughs> just a short two years later. Kevin McCarthy, yeah. was he in a Tuesday group with you? No. He was no, not. He was, in, he was pretty much uh, in leadership most of his time. I mean, yeah, he would come to a meeting once in a while as a leader, as all the leaders did. Uh, they would come in and they want to talk about something and we'd have them in. Uh, but no, he was not uh, a part of I our, remember our you had a good relationship with uh, John Boehner. How was your yeah. relationship with yeah. Kevin McCarthy? It was generally pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, we we were friendly. I mean, and Kevin's a very friendly guy. I mean, he's a he he works at building and maintaining relationships with the members. He's really good at it. I mean, I, I remember he stabbed the blue. I get a call. It's Kevin McCarthy just checking in. What are you thinking? What are you hearing? You know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. You know, he was very good at that. And um, and he still is. And well, so that's that's how he's been able to, I think, climb so well. You know, he's not known as a policy guy. He was always seen as more of a political, politically oriented, as opposed to policy oriented. And that's how he that's how he rolled. And um, and, you know, but but the challenge that he has is that, you know, in that he had in order to become speaker, you know, he had to make uh, some pretty darn nasty concessions to these hardliners. To get the job, and I, I would argue that this it was almost it was almost self-destructive and weakened was, his own it position. Was like in many ways. It was really pathetic to watch. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. That was. It had to be a humiliating experience. Yeah, you know, especially there at the end, having to you know you walk down the aisle to to go talk to Matt Gates. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I mean, I mean there was so much hurt. about that that was just incredible to watch, and I kept thinking this guy cannot go into the speaker's position with a very strong position after what he's been through. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's a, he's in a, a in a bit of a weakened position, and you know, it, like the what the one concession he made to the hardliners in the rules package was to uh, return to the old rule, which was that it only take one member to vote to vacate the chair, that is, to remove the speaker. Yeah. That one person could make the motion. You know, when the Democrats took over, they saw what happened to Boehner. They said, hey, we're not going to go down that road. Yeah. Uh, and they raised that threshold considerably, which I thought was actually a pretty good reform. Yeah. And then I think most Republicans thought it was a pretty good reform, too. Uh, and then, you know, but in order to get the votes, you know, they had to come down to initially five people making the motion to now just one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and maybe McCarthy won't have to deal with that. I think after the speaker's race. Uh, I don't think Republicans want to go through that again anytime soon, you know, but Kevin McCarthy is going to have to cut a deal on the debt ceiling that I'm sure is not going to please his hardliners because this debt ceiling has to pass the Senate and get signed exactly. a law by Joe have Biden. A Democratic so, president sign it. Yeah, you're darn right. You need uh, Democrats in the Senate to sign off as well as the Democratic president. And he's going to need a whole bunch of House Democratic votes. So the hardliners aren't going to like this. And so that will be one inflection point. We'll see how they react. I don't think they're going to move to to throw him out. And same thing with um, or to vacate the chair, I should say. And then the other time will be, of course, at the end of the year when they have to pass a spending bill to fund the government. Right. And that will ultimately end up in a, an omnibus. Resolution. They don't want it. And, and I've made, many of the Republican members have said they don't ever want to do an omnibus again. Hey, yeah. I never liked an omnibus either. But I know why we have them is because the Senate doesn't pass appropriations bills individually. They just they just don't. They haven't been for years. And so you get to the end of the year, then you have to basically take these bills and you have to marry them up. So the number looks big. But if you did them individually, you'd still reach the same overall number. <laughs> you know, right. defense is about close to 800 billion and labor health is about 300 billion. And now you're at 1.1 trillion. And then the others make up another, you know, three, three billion. So that's 
if you do them all at once, you see 1.5 trillion. If you did them all separately, you'd see them in smaller chunks. You'd still get the same number. But nevertheless, you have a lot of Republican members who say they don't want to do an omnibus. Well, I got news for you. It's going to be an omnibus in all likelihood. Um, Just thank the Senate for that. But it's not ideal. But Charlie, we we have barely a minute left. I wanted to ask you real quickly. What are the chances of a third party emerging? You know, I know you and Tom Ridge were were talking about that, and I haven't heard much about it. Is that ever no, going to happen? I mean, no, I, I wasn't know, really talking about it. I was saying that you know, if if the party can't reform, it'll it'll make it easier for you know there there'll probably be some other. I always thought there was there's room for some kind of an independent movement. I I've never thought third parties would go anywhere. Yeah, and uh, but an, an independent movement would be a good thing. Uh, might you know might be helpful. They'd have to fight for the well, middle it, instead know, of the right or left in order to survive the. Yeah, it's a, again, I, I don't know, like third parties and independent movements typically haven't done very well. But because there are so many disaffected Republicans and frankly, there are a lot of disaffected Democrats who see a leftward shift to the Democratic Party, yeah. that there's a center left to center right segment of the population that is really looking for some kind of political alternative. <laughs> and, uh, and neither party, frankly, is doing very well among the American public. Yeah. So so I'm not saying anything would happen, but neither party seems to be able to speak very well to the center of the country. I, I would argue the Democrats did a better job of it in the midterm by the results. You know, they were, uh, you know, a lot of voters walked into the, the midterm and said, we don't really like what the Democrats are doing, but, you know, but we don't like the alternative either. So yeah. They they stayed. And of course, certain issues like abortion were very important, um, you know, the, because of the Dobbs decision. Um, and I think, you know, we saw two extreme candidates that were endorsed by Trump fared poorly. Well, a lot of other Republicans did pretty well. Uh, and so it's right. a, and that's something that I think Republicans are trying to figure out how they chart this course post Trump. They know they can't win with him, but they're afraid they can't get nominated without him. And so, at least at the moment, so that's the that's the fundamental dilemma for Republicans, and they have to they have to figure out a way to put Trump behind them if they want to be a successful national party. Well, we've run out of time, Charlie. It's uh, these thirty minutes go awfully fast when I have you on the on the radio with me, and I appreciate you taking the time. I hope you get better with your back and get out there and continue to make us proud when you're on CNN. We love you. Well, thank you, Alan. You've been a good friend. I appreciate it. All right, you're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. That was our former congressman, Charlie Dent, good friend for many years. And um, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with my final thoughts. Please stay with us. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect those of WDIY, its affiliates, staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back. This is the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. And these are my final thoughts. You know, we've got so many problems. Playing chicken with the debt limit, climate isn't being addressed properly, mitigation of income and wealth disparity, guns, it just goes on and on and on. Now they want to cut Social Security and Medicare. This is not funny. This country is better than this. Too many people are buying into these crazy conspiracy theories. If it sounds goofy, it is goofy. Don't let anyone think you're not smart enough to recognize goofy. You know, I think these final thoughts need rhythm. They're playing games again with the debt limit. The damage will be like a fire with gas thrown in it. Six feet of snow and buffalo, whole neighborhoods leveled in Tupelo. 
We can fix it, you know, we can, but it will take a unified nation, man. And that looks as likely as a bipartisan plan to end the filibuster. Come on, it's anti-democratic, so it should be banned. So here we are, a nation coming apart, a nation that got a very good start, but can't find a way to find values with the heart for the poor, the homeless, the children too, the old, the disabled, and anyone else who we leave behind. Yes, the ones left behind. We always seem to find some folks to leave behind. Problems aren't solved when folks are deeply divided. They also aren't solved by a court that's overrided and overrun by right-winged ideologues, one-sided. And what's with the guns? Too many friends and neighbors are dead, and still the blood flows thick and red. A great nation is only great when the rising tide lifts every boat. When where you live has nothing to do with how much you learn, quote, ask what you can do for your country, end quote, and each other before it's too late. That's the better way. Yes, that's the better way. We'll never get to a better day without love, compassion, sacrifice, diversity, and did I say, all you need is love. Can we just try it? And those are my final thoughts. I'm your host of the award-winning Jennings Report on WDIY. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check back in for my next show, March 9th. Have a great weekend. (music) 